When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone. Today I'll be chatting with Dr. Elizabeth Marnick. Liz is an assistant professor of microbiology and biochemistry at a small university in Maine. In her spare time, she communicates science to the general public on Instagram at sciencewizliz. When not teaching or thinking about science, she spends much of her time with her husband and two children exploring nature while hiking or running. In today's episode, we will cover everything from the new bivalent COVID booster to the pediatric COVID vaccine for under five, as well as monkeypox. Liz has a very interesting background growing up in an anti-vaccine household, and we will touch on that in the beginning of this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Dr. Elizabeth Marnick, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. So I found your just your journey to be really, really interesting. So first of all, I used to follow you back when I was on Instagram, like during, you know, 2020, 2021. And you used to make like really helpful infographics and and things like that to kind of, you know, teach the public about COVID and vaccinations and 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 beyond that as well. And so that was awesome. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. To be able to give out that type of information on a platform like that, I don't think people understand how difficult that is. First of all, you're not getting paid. Second right. of all, just the amount of, I'm sure that you you have gotten over over time, just the amount of animosity and just people being really angry about you educating about something like this is really hard to handle sometimes. So anyways, kudos to you. I really appreciate you. Yeah, it hasn't been easy, but it's been worth it. Yeah, no, and it's it's so helpful to have that sounding board because otherwise, you know, I mean, I know I left, but I'm glad people like you stay because <laughs> you need to have some sort of like middle ground, you know, otherwise it's like, you know, no one's left. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, so I found that your history was so incredibly interesting. And I would love for you to touch on that as much as you feel comfortable. But you had said you were raised in an anti-vaccine household. And now being an assistant professor of microbiology and biochemistry, like I just found that to be so fascinating. So do you mind just touching on that a bit and kind of telling us what it was like and then kind of what made you change your mind when you got older and all that? Yeah, it definitely is something I'm happy to talk about. It's definitely kind of weird now. Sometimes it seems like it happened in a to a different person in a different life. But when I was growing up, my my mom and my dad are both very conservative Christians, which is not to say that all conservative Christians are anti-vax, but my mom very much was anti a lot of medical interventions in general, but very against vaccination. And my dad more so was kind of just going along with my mom because it was what was important to her. So, and I think a lot of it in retrospect, when I've been talking to her about this is, 
she, when she had me, she has a lot of anxiety about keeping me and my brother safe. And when she went to her pediatrician at the time, it was in the 80s. And when she asked about vaccination, they kind of just brushed her off and wouldn't really answer her questions. So she got a hold of a book that was obviously like not accurate. And I don't even remember what book it was. She doesn't even remember what book it was, but it like told her these terrible things about vaccines and how they could harm me or harm my brother. So she just decided that she wasn't going to vaccinate us. And then she became very staunchly opposed to vaccination. So growing up, we just never, we, we did go to the doctors when we needed to, but it wasn't very often. She was not very receptive to having to take medicine unless she absolutely had to. And then she was very adamantly opposed for, to, for us getting vaccinated. So we went to school. I did go to a public school for a while and we had a religious exemption to vaccination at the time. And then eventually she pulled us out of school and we were homeschooled and my brother and I both weren't vaccinated. So growing up, it was kind of interesting because there was a lot of different background things, but I was supposed to get married really young and have babies really young and not really college wasn't something that was really talked about. It was more so like you need to get married. You need to know how to cook. You need to have babies and take care of them. So she pulled me out of public school at the time because she thought it was corrupting me. So I was homeschooled for a little bit of time, which didn't really work out very well. And then I went to a private school for a little bit of time, but it wasn't a traditional private school. It was mostly like homeschooling in like a group setting, but it was very expensive, even though it wasn't like formal teaching. There was no classes. So I ended up having to go back to public school in 11th grade because I, by that point in time, I, the homeschooling wasn't working. The private school wasn't working. So I went to public school back in 11th grade and I had to take chemistry. So I was taking a chemistry class and I absolutely loved it. And I was getting 100s on all the tests. The chemistry teacher ended up pulling me aside one day and was like, you're really good at this. What are you planning on doing for college? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I was like, I, cause like I was planning on probably going to college, but I hadn't really thought about like what that would look like or what I would do or any of that. So she really started encouraging me to consider going to college for something in the sciences. And I really did love chemistry. And then in my senior year, I took a biology course. I took an AP bio course and I absolutely loved it. And both of my science my science teachers helped really encourage me to start thinking about science because I was very good at it and I really loved it. But at that same time, I still wasn't vaccinated because my mom wouldn't let me be vaccinated. And when I was growing up in that environment, I really never even second guessed it. Like she told me they weren't safe. So even as a high school student, I didn't think to second guess whether or not that was true. I was like, yeah, my mom says vaccines are not safe. They're not safe. So I go to college. And at that point in time, I decided I wanted to be a biochemistry major. And I was thinking that maybe I would go into a healthcare field or a public health field. I wasn't entirely sure what exactly I wanted to do. But I started taking all these science classes in college. And in those settings, you really start to learn about the scientific method, how science works, how the body works, how the immune system works, and all of those things. And I started to learn about how vaccines work and how our immune systems work. And I started to realize that all of the things that I thought I knew about that were wrong. And eventually, I 
decided that I wanted to get a PhD. I fell in love with science. I fell in love with research. And I had really amazing professors who helped me find that. I've been really lucky with great teachers in high school and great professors in college to really encourage that. So I decided to apply for my PhD program. And I knew I wanted to study the immune system. So I was like, I can't not be vaccinated. Like, that's not going to work. <laughs> I was like, I know now that they're safe and that they're effective and they're really important for helping keep things under control in terms of public health and all of these pathogens we don't worry about anymore because vaccines actually work. So I decided that in my senior year of college, I was going to get vaccinated. And at the time, there wasn't as many people my age who weren't vaccinated because this was initially I, I was born in the 80s. So I was pretty I was in a pretty small population of people in my school. In high school, I was the only student, I'm pretty sure, not vaccinated. So I went to my normal PCP and and they did not have the vaccines I needed. They don't carry like measles, mumps and rubella at an adult doctor's office. So I ended up having to go to a travel clinic at UConn Health Center. And they were able to figure out like all the schedule. Now the CDC has a, like an official catch up schedule for adults. But at the time, there, that wasn't in existence. So they had to figure out what schedule to do. So I ended up being vaccinated with all of my what I would have gotten as a child as a college senior. And I didn't tell my mom. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I know this is going to be, of course, my whole other, like, yeah, I can't wait to hear about that part. Yeah. But. I didn't tell, I didn't tell her for at least a year. I think it was. Wow. After. I mean, so I have like, first of all, it's like so fascinating to me, right? Because, oh my gosh, like you grew up in this household and it's just like, this was your life. You don't know any better. Like, as you said, like, like you went to school, you were probably the only unvaccinated person, but you thought that was the right thing because that's how you grew up. That's what, like, that's what you were told. Exactly. Yeah. That's just like, it's just also fascinating to me because I think it can help us understand people so much better. Right. And like come from a place of like more understanding and just really helping to educate. Right. And like, gosh, if you didn't go back to public school in 11th grade, and have that experience with science. Like, where would you be? Right? Yeah. What, and I, what I if that never yeah. happened? Like, it's just co so crazy to me, like how you ended up like traveling down this path, you know? Yeah, it's crazy to me too. And sometimes I'm like, I'm so grateful to all of those people because I love my life now. And I think my life would have been very, very different. And I don't know if I would love it as much as I love my current life. So I'm very grateful that things have worked out the way they have for lots of reasons. Right, right. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, all right. So tell me more about like when, so you didn't tell her right away, but how did you approach that conversation? Because I think that that's also important. So for, you know, people that might be listening to this, like they might have the same experience as you and they just don't know how, you know, obviously this, this is your mother. This is your family. This is, these are people you really care about a lot and you, you want to be able to be completely open with them. And how do you approach that, this type of a conversation? Yeah. So initially I decided not to tell her because I knew it was going to freak her out. And I knew that it was going to start an argument. And she was already having a really hard time with the fact that I was leaving I was leaving my home and I was moving to a different state to get a PhD. And she did not understand why. Like she could not understand why that was something I wanted to do. Right. So, because she never talked about like further education and all of that, right? No. And my mom, mm. my mom did not finish high school for a lot of reasons. And 
She did not go to college. My dad did have some higher education, but he also was more of the opinion that like, it didn't really matter what I wanted to do because eventually I would get married and have kids and that was what I was supposed to do. (laughs) Yeah. So eventually I decided that we were having these conversations about what I was studying for my PhD and I was studying autoimmune disease. So I was studying what happens in an individual's immune system when they develop autoimmunity. But to understand that, I also was studying how the immune system functions normally. So I was looking at all these different cells in the immune system and how they function normally to work and protect you from pathogens. And then what happens in individuals who develop autoimmune disease. So I was talking to my mom about all this um, immunology stuff that I was learning because I was taking all these immunology classes and I was learning all of these things. And I mentioned to her, I was like, you know, mom, I was like, I actually went and got vaccinated a year ago because I knew based on all of this information that I've learned that it was important and that they're safe. And then we had this whole conversation and she did not agree with me. She was very upset. And I think partly it was because I think she thought I was attacking her, which I was really trying not to do so. But I think it's hard when somebody's telling you that they think like I was essentially telling her that I think she raised me the wrong way. Right, right. Everything you told me growing up, I, you know, I went out and did this despite, yeah, you telling me otherwise. Which was very hard for her. And it's still very hard for her. So my my parents are now divorced and my dad and my brother are now vaccinated. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So now your dad is getting vaccinated, you know, really late in life, right? Like what, mid midlife? Well, he was vaccinated as a kid because his oh, parents, he was okay. Yeah, because his parents right, were right, right. fine with it. But he then, once he married my mother, he did not keep up with any vaccines. Right. Okay, and he didn't do anything else, and he didn't vaccinate us. But he had his childhood immunizations. But he now is he's like fully vaccinated for COVID and all of those things. And then my brother also is now fully vaccinated. He got vaccinated in his twenties as well. But my mom is still adamantly opposed. And a lot of it, I think, is because it's something she's believed for so long. It's so hard. So how was it during, like, gosh, I I just can't imagine how hard this must be just because of your career choice. And then because, like, does she respect your career choice? Does she... You know what I mean? Like, is she happy for you as far as like building this life for yourself and all of that? It's gotten better. So for a long time, we had a very tenuous relationship and we kind of did not see each other very often. It has gotten better for a few different reasons, but I don't think she completely understands what I do and why I do it. I now have two children. I have a three and a half year old and I have a three month old. And when I told my mom I was pregnant, she was like, oh, you're going to quit your job now, right? And I was like, no. I was like, I didn't, I didn't go to school to get a PhD to quit my job. And not that that is a wrong career decision for other people, but I really love my job. And I know that I'm a better mom when I have another thing that I'm also doing. And she just can't understand that. So she's very happy because she has grandchildren and she does love her grandchildren. But she was very upset when I vaccinated them. I just find this so there's a very mixed, yeah, because she truly, deep down, like truly believes that she's doing the best thing for her kids. You know, she does adamantly. Yes, totally. And I have a lot of understanding. When I was not a mom, I did not understand. 
And I think becoming a mom myself has really helped me understand her. I still don't think she made the right decision based on what I know, but I know that she made the decision that she thought was best based on what she had at the time. And she has a lot of health anxiety. She doesn't have a background in science. And I don't think anyone really sat down with her when she had us and explained to her how vaccines worked or why they were important or why the concerns that she had weren't something that she needed to worry about. And now I think she's become, because everyone is like against, well, not everyone, it's unfortunately has become more popular now than when she was initially doing not vaccinating us. But I think now it's become entrenched in her that this is just what she believes. So she's not willing to hear anything that goes against it. And it is hard because I'm like, mom, I'm your daughter. Like, you know that I don't work for big pharma. You you know, you like as a professor, I do not make very much money at all. I yeah. can do a lot of other things that would yeah. make more money. <laughs> yeah, that's and, not where the money's at. And she just – and she's like, I know that. But she still doesn't quite trust that they're actually safe. And it's really hard. You have to wonder what, what it would take, you know? I mean, like – I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's so hard. Yeah. And I've, I've had really good conversations with other people in my family that like my, my dad and my brother are now vaccinated. My dad's si- sisters are now vaccinated because they weren't going to initially get vaccinated for COVID, but now they all are. And I've had good conversations with people in my family. It's just been really hard with my mom. And she had COVID in January of 2021. So before vaccines were available. And she now has very bad long COVID and still she just doesn't like, she doesn't like COVID and she is now like she wears a mask and she does things to try to prevent getting it again, but she still isn't willing to get vaccinated. And it's very, it's very hard. So it's something that she now lives here in Maine. She doesn't live with us, but she lives in a street over. And I, I moved her here because after COVID, she was having a hard time taking care of herself and my brother wasn't around to help. So she lives locally so that we can help her. But it's something where I still love her a lot, but it's something that we really can't have lots of conversations about because it does end up making us both very upset. Right, right. Well, gosh, I, I'm like, I'm very proud of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's just such a, it's. I mean, it's a beautiful story. It's just, I mean, I'm sorry that it's, yeah, it just has to be so hard for you to have that, you know, like that tension between you all the time, you know, but. Yeah, it's definitely, it's gotten better as I've gotten older and life, life experience has helped. Okay, so let's get into boosters and the pediatric vaccine for under five and all that good stuff. So yes. everywhere you look, it's, you know, the pandemic is over. Everybody's unmasked. Everybody's out and about. Things are kind of picking up and life seems, you know, pretty much as it was prior to COVID, I would say. We know, though, that the COVID numbers are still high and, you know, death rate is still pretty high. Do you want to just kind of give us the current data as far as amounts of infection and deaths and things like that related to COVID? Yeah, so it's currently September 27th, and I looked up data last night, and the CDC says that we are currently having about 348 deaths per day due to COVID-19. It's insane. Like, that's such a high number still. And there are about 3,700 hospitalizations daily for COVID and about 50,000 new cases every day. 
And so, you know, quote, the pandemic is over, end quote, is not quite. <laughs> not quite. And <laughs> not I think, quite. And if you go back to the old transmission maps that the CDC used to use before they, they now use a different transmission map that factors in hospitalization rooms, like space and admission space. But that old transmission map has 70% of the country in high transmission. Oh, interesting. Which is yeah. more than 20 cases per 100,000 people. Mm. I mean, yeah, I don't doubt it because, you know, we're like, we see it all the time, you know, in the ED here. So yeah, so <laughs> like it's still, still very much here. <laughs> yeah, it's not gone. And like, obviously, vaccines and prior immunity have helped a lot. So we're, we're seeing we, we're seeing much, much less deaths than we had initially, but 348 deaths per day is still way too many. And it's this is not the level that we want COVID to be at consistently. We want to get numbers lower. And I mean, we still don't know, right? Just everything there is to know about this virus. Like we do not fully understand it yet. I know there's been a lot of talk. And again, this is not, there hasn't been studies, at least I don't know that there has been, but people that are being reinfected, you know, maybe it's been like three times in the past couple years, they're just like getting strokes and they're younger. They're in their 20s they're in their 30s. And really the only thing you can kind of pinpoint is, oh, they've had COVID three times. And this past time they were sick for two weeks and they ended. And it's just like, okay, is that related? It's just all of these things kind of compounded and we can't directly link any of them yet. Right. But I'm a little bit worried for, you know, years to come, <laughs> what we find out about this, you know, especially with long COVID, you're saying your mom has long COVID and implications of that are just really dire. Like people are, you know, they come to the ED and they have all oh, people come in with bizarre complaints, you know, vertigo. And then, oh, I'll have this chest pain. I'll get palpitations all the time. And oh, I get this. And I'm like, I hate to tell you this, but when you had COVID six months ago, has it been since then? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Well, i to the long COVID clinic because that's probably what this is. And, you know, people don't want to hear that. And I just don't think we have, like, we've made a lot of progress, but there's still so much we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely, there's just not enough data yet to know what the risk is of repeat infections. So it's really the best we can do is to try to limit how often, well, prevent COVID if you can, and then limit how many reinfections you get until we really understand more about what's going on. Right. And I also get it from the, you know, I always try to like understand things from all perspectives. And obviously nobody wants to not have the kids in school, not go to work, not masking everywhere. Obviously nobody wants that, right? We have to kind of figure out this middle ground of how to do things safely and still have fun and do all the things and be out in the world, right? We can't, it's, it's not healthy for humans to just be indoors and not with other people. Like as humans, we need connection and we need to be able to do that. And it's actually really hard to connect with people when you have a mask on all the time, especially with kids in school. And all. So I get all of that. Totally get all of that. This episode is sponsored by Cozy Earth. Thanks to Cozy Earth, we both feel as though we've been sleeping on top of clouds every night. Their luxury bedding is made with premium 100% viscous from bamboo fabric, and helps create the perfect sleeping temperature. I can attest to the fact that they do not pill and arguably get better with each trip through the washing machine. Cozy Earth has developed and crafted high quality goods with responsibly and sustainably sourced materials from the earth. Cozy Earth Women's Loungewear is crafted from the same breathable and luxurious material as their bedding, and it offers optimal comfort while maintaining a flattering, elegant fit. 
All of their products are created via a direct supply chain and in ethical factories. Fun fact, Cozy Earth has even been featured on Oprah's favorites list four years in a row, and they have a 10-year warranty on all of their products. Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for my listeners today. 35% off site-wide when you use the code Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 35% off. The link will also be in the show notes. This episode is sponsored by KiwiCo. I can still remember receiving a science encyclopedia when I was a little girl and I would create book reports on certain topics within the book and hand them to my mom and ask her to grade them for me. This was all for fun. I know that might sound strange, (laughs) but I did do it for fun. And I wonder today if it is the reason why I became a PA. I'm pretty sure it is. What we learn at a young age sticks with us through adulthood. This is why fostering a lifelong love of learning for our children is so important. The best part is we, as the parents, can make it fun. I've received KiwiCo boxes over the past few years, and it's always great to connect with my kids and watch them learn and have fun at the same time. I love seeing the reactions when they're able to build something and watch it come to life. You can immediately see their confidence boosted. Every crate is different and allows them to explore something new. We recently did the Environmental Sciences Oil Cleanup Crate, where we learned all about how oil affects oceans and the critters that live in them, and explored different ways to clean up spilled oil. The kids had a blast playing with the water and cleaning up the oil while learning about how to save ocean life. They also have seasonally themed crates that we would love to try next time, like the Light Up Halloween House and the Levitating Lantern. I love that these crates get them to think creatively and gives them the tools to learn new skills, build new experiences, and make new connections to the broader world, all while having fun and creating connection with siblings and with me or dad. Spark the love of learning today with a KiwiCo subscription. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code Lindsay at KiwiCo.com. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. That's 50% off your first month at K-I- W-I-C-O.com. Promo code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y. And that link will also be in the show notes. So let's talk about the boosters because I know that this is so confusing for people because they're like, okay, well, another booster. Am I going to boost every two months? Am I going to boost every six months? Am I going to boost every year? Is it going to be like the flu vaccine? What is this bivalent booster? You know, what does it mean? It's Omicron specific. What's the data like? So can we kind of dive into that? If can you tell us what that, you know, booster is and who is currently available to get it? Yeah. So let's first talk about what the bivalent booster even means. So Pfizer and Moderna both have an option. I know Moderna is a little bit harder for people to find right now, but both are authorized for use. And bivalent means that half the dose is the original vaccine formulation. So the one that was targeting the original COVID-19 that started in 2020. And then the other half of the dose, the RNA sequence has been modified to be specific to BA4-5. And the 4-5 nomenclature there is because the RNA sequence is identical for both of those variants. So both BA4 and 5 are within the Omicron family, and they have the same spike RNA sequence. So now these bivalent vaccines, half the dose is the original formulation, and half the dose is targeting 
that BA4-5 so that your immune system can learn to recognize that dominant variant because now BA4 and 5 are the dominant variant. So we obviously just had this release, I don't know, what was it, like a two weeks ago? That, yeah, so my husband was like, literally the minute that he got an email, he was like, oh my gosh. You know, he he's like, he's the person that would probably, he would sprint like ahead of everybody else to get any vaccine ever for everything. He's like, I want it all. We went to Bali for our honeymoon years and years ago. And, you know, we go, we went to this travel clinic because we needed to be vaccinated against certain things, right? For this, you know, to go to this country. And he was like, we only need one vaccine. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, only one vaccine to go to, to go to Bali. And he's like, well, I, but can you vaccinate me for everything else? And he's like, well, why? You're not, you're not <laughs> traveling anywhere else. <laughs> like, it's such a weird thing. Anyway, he was like the first in line, of course. And I still have to get mine. I just, I, I usually need like two days because I'm usually like not feeling great. So yeah, I usually have to like set that up where my husband's off and I can, you know, kind of take that two days to just not do very much. But yeah, he was like the first <laughs> But it's not available for every age group yet, right? No. So right now it's approved for those 12 and older. And for the age 12 to 17, the only current option is the Pfizer bivalent. But for everybody 18 and older, they're eligible to get either the Moderna or the Pfizer bivalent. But it has to be at least two months since your last vaccine or your last infection. Okay. But oh, yeah, otherwise you can get it. Because so we actually, oh, yeah, I'm just thinking about that now actually, because our two girls that are nine and seven just got boosted in August. So they have to wait. Right. Oh, and and they're, right. Not, they're under 12 anyway. So it doesn't matter. Right. Right. But the Pfizer, I think yesterday just submitted paperwork to try to get the bivalent approved for five to 12. Okay. But they'd so have it's to coming. Wait. It's yeah. coming. Yeah. But they would want, you'd want them to wait at least two months. And honestly, it's probably a little bit longer would also be better. We know that the immune response matures over time. So waiting at least two months is the best, but even like three or four months would probably lead to an ultimate better response. But you're balancing that with wanting to get protection fastest. So it's this hard thing that we're balancing in the middle of a pandemic. And this is why it's changing. Because you're balancing protecting us against this really high level of circulation that we still have, while also trying to maximize protection. And in an ideal situation, we know that for other things like measles, mumps, and rubella, we know the vaccine schedule. You get a, you have a certain set interval because we know that what is what works best. But in a pandemic, we haven't had the opportunity to see what happens if we wait six months in between or a year in between dose one and two, because we haven't had the time to do that because we're trying to get protection into individuals as fast as we can because there's still so much COVID around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what has the like safety profile been with this bivalent booster? Like, has there been any, you know, serious repercussions from it or conditions? Yeah. So this has been one area that is stressing a lot of people out and that the, the BA4-5 bivalent vaccine is actually currently still being tested in clinical trials for both Pfizer and Moderna. So they approved these vaccines based on human clinical data for the BA1, which is a different Omicron variant, and based on preclinical mouse data. 
And that can make a lot of people nervous. And I think it's because a lot of people are paying more attention to how these vaccines are made than any other vaccine. But this is not abnormal. So the flu vaccine annually, we every year we don't retest the flu vaccine on humans. We have tons of data from initial submission about how these flu vaccines work, and they just get modified every year based on that preclinical data, which is the same thing that we're now moving into with the COVID vaccines. Because we do have, what I looked yesterday, 700 million doses of these vaccines have been administered worldwide. So we have tons of data about this mRNA vaccine platform. And we also have, so both Moderna and Pfizer have tested variant vaccines for beta when we had the beta variant and for other Omicron variants, and they have not had any difference in safety. And that's not surprising because the only thing that's different is that the RNA sequence is just being slightly modified to target the variant. There's nothing else that's different about that vaccine. And that is not enough of a difference to expect a different safety profile. So we have a lot of that data from humans in terms of the other versions of the vaccine. But for BA4.5 specifically, it's all based on mouse data. And that data also showed that it works to really boost the immune response. And it makes your antibodies better able to recognize all variants, not just Omicron, but even better recognize things like Delta. That isn't around anymore, but that's a good thing because we don't know what the future variant will look like. So it looks like these bivalent boosters, based on the human clinical data that we have for BA1 and the mouse data for BA4-5, that these vaccines are going to work well to boost your immune response and make your immune response better at recognizing different variants. Mm, Interesting. So I know this is a common question as well, but people get confused as to what they should be getting. So if they've gotten, you know, their original vaccine was Moderna, their booster was Moderna. Do they stick with Moderna? Do they switch off to Pfizer? Does it matter? Are there suggestions? So it really doesn't matter. So for 18 and older, the CDC has approved mixing vaccine doses. So it really is whatever is easiest a lot of the times and whatever is available. That being said, there is some limited data that suggests that mixing brands may actually be beneficial and may give a little bit of an added boost. So I got three Pfizer's initially, and I was boosted with the bivalent this past weekend, and I got Moderna. And I did that because I could I could find Moderna easily. It was at a local grocery store. And I figured it wasn't going to be – it's not unsafe to do so. And it would either give me the same protection or maybe or maybe better. more. Yeah, I ended up doing that with my booster. So I did originally I did two Pfizer and then I boosted with Moderna. And I mean, you know, same. I didn't have any different. Rea- it was the same. You know, there was no difference. But yeah, I mean, I think too. Yeah, if if you can, if you can try to mix them, I think why not? You know, yeah. if anything, you might get a little bit of some extra boost there, but. But if it's going to um, be a stressful thing to try to find it, because I yeah, especially know that Moderna. Moderna's doses were are just being released more now because they had to wait for the, the FDA has to double check like the warehouses that they're produced in to make sure they're safe. So that delayed some shipments. But so sometimes it's been in certain areas of the country, it's been harder to find Moderna. So if you can't find one, like one, get whatever one you can find, it's better to get it than not get it. But if you can mix, it may have an added benefit. Okay, excellent. So 
Do we have any information yet on our boosters going to be just like the flu? Are we getting these every, you know, fall season or we don't really know yet? So the White House has said that, yes, they're they're anticipating a yearly COVID vaccine, like the yearly flu vaccine. I think that most of us in the sciences have kind of think that might be slightly premature to say because we still have a lot of COVID circulating. And things are still kind of changing as we find out more. So yes, maybe it will end up being an annual vaccine, but there's also the possibility that it won't be. So I think we kind of just have to wait and see how things shake out as hopefully we get clo- we get cases lower and we get more into an actual endemic versus pandemic. And I think being in the sciences, you you just kind of have th- this expectation that things are always rapidly changing, right? So for me, it's never, I'm not upset by the fact that, oh, okay, you're going to need an extra one. But I understand for those that aren't in, in medicine or in science, you know, that they want to have this expectation met, right? So, oh, I was told this. I want it to be this. I don't want to be surprised. I don't want to have to, oh, okay, oh, now you want me to mask and now you don't want me to mask and now you want to do this and now I don't, you know, so it's, it can be very confusing. And I get that that for certain people is just very frustrating, but it very much is just like a rapidly changing situation all the time, you know? And I mean, there could be a new, a totally new variant tomorrow. And it might be a deadly one. And oh my gosh, we need to get a booster out for this one, you know, as quickly as possible. And everybody has to be boosted in the spring or, you know, so. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Okay. I wanted to briefly talk about the COVID vaccine for ages six months to five years, because when I looked at the data for this, I was so surprised at the current vaccination rate for this. So I looked it up and it was from the 22nd, but it said that ages six months to four years, less than 21% have been vaccinated with one dose and 7.5% have actually had both doses. And this is just in that age group, which is incredibly low. I did not think it would be that low. I thought it was going to be low, but I did not expect it to be this low. When I looked up these numbers, I was like, wow. So I really want to talk about this here because I think this is just a matter of people saying, okay, well, you know, my child had COVID. I don't think they need this vaccine or I'm just really, I'm nervous. I don't, I don't know everything I want to know about it. I feel like it wasn't talked about nearly enough compared to the adult vaccine vaccinations, you know, and I just, I feel like talking about it more and making people more comfortable will kind of help to increase this vaccination rate because this is incredibly low. And I think there's also been too much weight put on to, oh, kids aren't affected by COVID, which is simply not true, right? And so, you know, they are affected and I wouldn't never want to roll the dice on my children. So if I can vaccinate them for something and give them some sort of perfect protection, that's what I'm going to do. Like our kids got vaccinated, our younger ones, the second that this came out. So can we talk a little bit about the trial data for this vaccine, the safety profile of it, and then kind of go from there? Yeah. So first, I want to mention that I actually enrolled my three-year-old in the Pfizer vaccine trial. So he was actually in the trial. So I did that because I wanted to help contribute to data. And I also wanted to maximize his chances. He had a two-thirds chance of getting vaccine. And he did actually, when he got unblinded, we found out he did get vaccine in the trial, which was great. (laughs) I was very excited. And I was pretty sure he had because he had like a, a fever for like three hours. Yeah. Five seconds. (laughs) Yeah. It was very quick. 
but I was pretty convinced he did and he, and he did, which was great. But yeah, so both Pfizer and Moderna is now authorized for this age population and both have gone through a full clinical trial. And in both of their trials, they found that the safety profile was very similar to what they've seen in all other age groups. So you might have a fever for a short amount of time. The child may complain about something like their arm hurting or being tired, but there was no significant safety events noted. I know people, a lot of people are also worried about myocarditis or pericarditis because we know this can be a very rare risk in um, mostly adolescent males. And we do not see this. We did not see this in the trial, but we wouldn't see it in the trial because it's so rare. But we now have the CDC just did an update in September, in early September on the safety of these vaccines. And they've also not seen it at all in the rollout since the vaccine has been authorized. And this is not surprising because we do know based on myocarditis in general that it tends to happen more in males, especially teenagers. And that's probably due to a hormone thing. So younger kids are not very prone to getting myocarditis in general. And that is translating to these vaccines as well. So we have a lot of data that shows that these vaccines are safe and they do produce an immune response that's comparable to what we see in adults. Yeah. And I mean, for what it's worth, our our two youngest, I mean, all of our kids, let me just say all of our kids, you would never have known they received a vaccination. Like they had, they weren't tired. They didn't get a fever. They didn't have anything. Zero. I mean, I will say, okay, fine. Like maybe one of my kids was like, oh, my arm kind of hurts, <laughs> you know, but other than that, I mean, zero. So if that's something people are worried about, I mean, I know that that's just, just my kids, but I still have yet to talk to anybody who did get their kids vaccinated that have had any type of, you know, reaction at all. So yeah. And that's, and that is shown in the data too. Cause while the types of side effects, like fever and tiredness and arm pain were seen in adults and in children. It was reported much more in adults than kids. A lot of kids had no side effects at all. But if they did report a side effect, it was something very mild and that went away quickly, like a fever or arm pain. Mm-hmm. Now, the vaccination vaccination dose is a little bit different, though, for this age group, right? Because when I signed up my son, he was actually turning five midway through. So they were like, oh, we actually want him to get both doses in before he's five. It was like they were very adamant about it. So he was originally scheduled eight weeks out, but then they shortened it are the four because they wanted him to get it before he turned five. So I guess the range is like four to eight weeks instead or something. Was this Pfizer or Moderna? He got five. I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Did he have to get three doses or two? No, two. So I think it was Pfizer. Okay. Right? Is Pfizer two? I mean, I don't don't know that. I don't even know that much about this. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So Pfizer for the under fives, so from six months to four years of age, Pfizer is actually a three-dose series, and each dose is three micrograms, which is an adult dose for Pfizer is 30. So it's 10 times smaller than the dose adults get. And usually what happens is dose one and dose two are three weeks apart, and then dose two and dose three are two months apart. So in total, it takes about three, three-ish months to be fully vaccinated for that group. And then Moderna is 25 micrograms, and it's a two-dose series. And the range is anywhere. You're allowed to do it anywhere between four to eight weeks apart. Okay. That was, yeah, that was it then. 
And there is a dose difference. So the dosage does change based on age. But according to the CDC, if you do like if dose two of Pfizer was at when the kid was four and then they turned five, that third dose can be at the five-year-old dosage. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And that's important. I mean, and you know, the profile of both of these is the same, right? It doesn't matter which one you get. Yeah. I mean, Moderna had slightly more reported fevers in the kids compared to Pfizer, but like still they were very mild and that was really the only significant difference. So I think another thing I think it's important to know is that eventually boosters likely will be authorized for this population. And that's good because we know for Omicron, it really is like three or four exposures to the vaccines that produces the best response for Omicron. So those boosters are not yet approved for this age, but they are going to be soon. And once they are approved, I definitely would not hesitate to go get your kids boosted. That's important. It's important to get that booster. The other thing I think that's important to mention is kind of to go back to, do kids this age need it? Because I think that really is a common question that I get. They're like, well, kids this age don't get very sick from COVID, so they don't actually need it. And when we were looking at the data for this, when they were deciding whether or not they were going to authorize it, they were talking about this. And COVID was actually the fifth leading cause of death in this age group, which is crazy. And I think it's because, like, yes, the absolute numbers are low, but kids this age are not supposed to die of anything. So even a few kids dying of it, is it a big deal? And things like chickenpox and other vaccine preventable illnesses were killing less kids than this when we authorized those vaccines because we knew that it was important. And plus things like long COVID can happen in kids. How common it is, is still an area of active debate because we are getting more data. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard to get data from children. Like, you, like exactly. they can't describe yeah. things as well as adults. And, oh, why am I feeling this, you know, this specific way? And a lot of these are like neurological complaints, which can be very difficult. To, exactly. To yeah. Talk about. Yeah. yeah. So kids definitely, and even if the, your kid has had COVID, we have a lot of data now that shows that infection does not do a great job, especially in kids at generating an immune memory, like making antibodies that actually persist in kids. So vaccines do do that well. So just because your kid has had an infection does not mean that they're not at risk for getting reinfected. And there's no guarantee that that reinfection won't be worse in terms of severity or in terms of long COVID. So it's best to do what you can to prevent that from happening. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. All right. Let's move on very quickly to monkeypox. How do you feel about that? Yeah, so this is definitely something that my community on Facebook has been asking me a lot about. Oh, really? Because <laughs> yes. I feel like it's, I mean, from what I, you know, again, I'm not diving deep into monkeypox. Of course, I'm in the ED and I'm always like, okay, looking around to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I have yet to see it, even though it is it is in Connecticut, there have been cases. But can we just talk about, you know, current, you know, case numbers and they're trending downwards, right? They are, yeah. So, so yeah. In the in the U.S., the current case count is just under twenty five thousand, which is pretty pretty big number. But ninety seven percent of those cases are in men. Only two percent of those are women, and then one percent are in transgender or non binary. And eighty nine percent of cases globally are amongst men who have sex with men within that community. And I really, I want to mention that that is not because of anything that they're doing. 
I don't want to stigmatize that community more than they already are for lots of reasons. This is just based on really bad luck because monkeypox is a infectious disease that is spread by close contact. And one of that, one of the methods that puts you in close contact is obviously sexual encounters. And what has happened is that monkeypox got into this one demographic. And because they're such a tight knit community, it has spread through that population. But the same thing could have happened if this started in college students in a dorm, we would have seen the same thing happen there because they also have really close contact. So overall, we really are seeing that it is predominantly happening in adults. There have been 34 cases in the U.S. amongst children between the ages of zero and 15. But all of those cases have been due to household exposure. So somebody in their household got it. And then in a household, you're obviously coming into contact with surfaces and skin and towels and all those things that can transmit it. So I think this is one of the things that I've been telling people that Yes, theoretically, it could transmit in children. And it could, because I know a lot of my community has been worried about things like daycares and schools. So yeah, yes, it is theoretically possible that that could happen. At this time, we don't have any data to say that that is currently a concern because it's not spreading amongst the that population. And now that we see the cases downtrending, I think we have started to get to the place where we're getting a better hand. We're now vaccinating individuals who are highest risk of exposure. We are getting better at quarantining and isolating people. So it looks like we are getting a handle on it. So I am optimistic that we won't see significant spread outside of the current population that's most impacted. And that's not to say that it's not possible. But I think just because something is possible does not mean it's probable. So as of right now, as a mom with her two kids in daycare, I'm not worried about monkeypox. I'm much more worried that they're going to get COVID in daycare than I am about right, them getting right, monkeypox in daycare. Right, right. exactly. And monkeypox, we do have already two vaccines available for monkeypox, which means we are already in a better position than we were with COVID because we already have vaccine options available. Right, exactly. Okay. And of course, my husband's like, when can I get that one? I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So what do you think about doing a couple quick questions from my community? You want to? Yeah, I have that? some time. Okay. Yeah. Let's pull those up. Of course, this is always, I get the most questions usually about <laughs> about this kind of stuff. Although I did have one response that was like, get over it already. And I was like, Oh, even even still, and I'm not even on here. I just I, I go on here to post the questions for my yeah, yeah. episodes. And then I leave. And then I'm still I'm like, Oh, gosh, of course, I still, of course, <laughs> still got it. Some. Still getting people mad. Just by asking a simple question, get over it already. Okay. Do you recommend the booster for 50 plus or everyone? So everyone, I'm assuming that's what you're going to say because we talked about it. I got pericarditis for my first two. Is a booster still recommended? So last I heard, no, but they should talk to their cardiologist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Talk with your provider. We talked about how many, like when, when to expect boosters. Okay. So this is, again, let's just kind of like bring this home because this is a lot of these questions. Where can we find real life data 
about the under five so far. So we kind of already talked about this, right? That it's it is super safe. They just released released these numbers in the beginning of September and there was no serious complications. Yes. And that information is publicly available. So if you go on to the if you Google like CDC ACIP, you can look at their September, I think it was their, their September 1st and 2nd meeting. And they post recordings, but they also pr- post all their slides. And there was one data set that they looked at safety in the under five population, and they saw no concerning safety signals. And I can also send that link if you want to put it. Oh, yeah. I'll put it into the show show notes. notes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So how long after a family member in our home had COVID can we get the booster? That is a great question. So the CDC now wants you to wait at least two months, which is a relatively new recommendation for the boosters. I think before they were saying, as long as you've recovered, you can go ahead and get it. And this is because we are now starting to see, and there's been some new data that's come out recently. It's still in preprint form, so it has not yet been peer-reviewed, but the data looks really good. And this has shown that if you boost too soon after getting infected, it's safe, but it actually doesn't boost your immune response. So it kind of makes that booster not worth it. And you don't want to waste that. So it's better to wait at least, in that study, they said at least 60 days. But in reality, it may actually be better to even wait maybe like 90 days to then allow your immune system. Because what happens is after you're infected, your immune system responds. And those antibodies that your immune system make actually mature and they get better at recognizing what they were initially activated by. And then if you're boosted, those immune cells can get can respond again and get even better. But if you if you get it too close to each other, you're not allowing that time for the initial antibodies to mature. So you're not getting as much of a boost. Right. That makes sense. Okay. 21 month old just got the first dose of Pfizer and then got COVID in between. (laughs) When should we do the next dose? (laughs) That's such a bummer. I know. Of course, you're, I mean, if you're doing Pfizer, this is over a three month period, right? So, I mean, chances are probably relatively high, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Still wait at least, yeah, wait the two months. Right. Before going back in. Okay. Yeah. Do two boosters during pregnancy. I'm not sure what she means by two boosters. Maybe she's just being getting vaccinated in general. Like anyway, two bo- do two boosters during pregnancy make my baby fully vaccinated? So I guess she's just asking, you know, what is required for me to get while pregnant so that the antibodies are passed to the fetus? Yeah. So I think that's a great question. And I want to mention two things with that. So one is that if you've been vaccinated while pregnant, that does not make the baby fully vaccinated when they're born. Because what happens is when you are getting vaccinated, your immune system is making a bunch of memory cells. They're making T cells, they're making B cells, they're making antibodies. But those antibodies are the only cells that can pass through the placenta. And then they are what they will last in an infant for about four to six months after they're born. And that will provide what we call passive immunity because those antibodies are present. So that will help decrease the severity if that child does get infected with COVID. But that child has not been vaccinated themselves, so they do not have T cells or B cells that can recognize the virus. So for the child to be considered fully vaccinated, they themselves have to get the vaccine. So getting boosted or vaccinated while pregnant is fantastic because it protects you, it's safe, and it protects the fetus by transferring those antibodies through the placenta. But that child still then needs to go on to get vaccinated once they're eligible. 
All right. So somebody says, are there any effects from, I'm guessing, just COVID vaccination in general on reproductive health? Because I'm hearing a lot of scary things. And of course, you know, rewind back to when I was on social media. And I mean, I feel like I spent the majority of my time talking about this because I feel like this was so targeting So the anti-vaccine movement, and I don't mean, and when I say anti-vaccine, I'm not talking about the people that were curious or people that wanted to know more. I'm talking about the people that were adamantly trying to persuade people not to get the vaccine because of their own beliefs and that were, you know, trolling people online and, you know, being awful and saying terrible things and, you know, et cetera. That's who I'm talking about. Now, they really love to target reproductive health, I feel like. That is just what they do. That's not new. That has this has just been going on for a very long time. This, you know, it it it's just always been there. And they like to focus on, oh, you won't be able to get pregnant or oh, this is going to affect your baby or oh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I really would love to hear your thoughts on this because, you know, this is obviously something very scary for people. If somebody's in their 20s and they're like, I can't wait to have a big family. Oh my gosh, I can't get vaccinated because I did hear this one thing. And what if it could, what if it's true? You know, I think you're very right. I think, I think the anti-vax, they're the best at targeting, I think, parents because they parents want to keep their kids safe and then targeting fertility because we do uh, as a species a lot of us have that innate desire to procreate and have kids and those are great things to target but this is not true we have tons of data now that shows that these vaccines do not cause miscarriages if you get them all pregnant they do not impair fertility and there's one there's a couple of great studies that I love for this because one of the studies had a population of couples that were already going through IVF and they had collected sperm and egg samples from before and after vaccination that's like a great experimental design because that individual you know what their sperm and egg looked like before they were vaccinated and then you can look afterwards and see if there was a difference. And they found no difference at all. And there's been tons of data now looking at this, looking at ovary, like ovarian reserve, looking at sperm motility and all of those things. And they see no difference in fertility with these vaccines. But what we are seeing is that COVID itself could cause issues in sperm. And could we now see some people who get long COVID are having significant reproductive issues in terms of they're getting weird periods. They're having lots of health issues that are impacting their ability to have kids. So COVID is by far the more risky option of this, whereas we have tons of data that shows that these vaccines are safe. And I myself was vaccinated twice and got pregnant and then was boosted while I was pregnant and the baby and I were totally fine. And we have tons of data not just stories, but we have tons of data now that supports that. Yes. Yes. Okay. I think I'm going to stop there because I feel like that's the perfect place to stop. Is there anything that you wanted to add in? I know we covered quite a few different topics throughout this. This has been great. But is there anything um, that you think we might have missed? I think that was like the highlights. Yeah, I think that was everything. Okay. So I'm going to ask you two random questions, not about what we talked today. Okay. So the first question is, if you could give one piece of advice to moms, what would that piece of advice be? Ask for help. At least postpartum. That's been something I have had a hard time learning. I like to be independent. 
and I don't like to burden other people. And with my first kid, postpartum is really hard. <laughs> and I just never asked for help. And I've definitely learned the hard way that sometimes you need help. And sometimes that might just be like calling your friend and saying, I need you to listen to me while I complain about the fact my kid isn't sleeping. But I think it's really important to understand that like we weren't really made to do this alone. We usually had villages of people who were helping us raise our kids. Well, and I mean, many countries still do that. Exactly. <laughs> that still happens. Exactly. It just doesn't happen here. <laughs> exactly. And especially yeah. in the pan- with the pandemic, it's like you're siloed a lot of us into or we're really not connecting with people. And it is really hard to be a mom when you're doing that. So definitely ask for help. And it's okay to need help. And even if that's professional help, if you need to get see a therapist or if you need to go on medication, whatever kind of help you need, don't be afraid to ask yes, for it. Love that. And then the second question is, if you could make one meal for your whole family that everyone would eat, that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be? Oh, huh. I would do frozen dumplings, which is super easy because you can just buy them from the grocery store. <laughs> and then I usually throw them with, I usually take some cauliflower rice and throw that in there too, and then have dumplings with cauliflower rice. And my toddler, who's super picky, will eat dumplings. Like that's his favorite food in the universe. Oh my gosh. We have this like <laughs> dumpling paste place downtown and my kids like absolutely love it. They don't even, that's all they offer. It's just like, like three options of dumplings. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, all right, I guess. Like, it's not like my favorite thing, but they're like obsessed. I, yeah, literally it's like, he won't eat like raviolis, but mm-hmm. he will, he eats dumplings and he like loves them. Yeah. I he love could it. eat his weight in dumplings. <laughs> so <cute>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So that is it. Thank you so much, Liz, for taking the time. I know, you know, with obviously a three month old, you're probably still not sleeping <laughs> and working. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to, to chat with us and educate us some more. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad I was able to do this. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.